Hello, this is Jake with Mystery College. Today we'll be interviewing Joey Nishad. Welcome, Joey. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you. I've loved watching your videos on Facebook, um, like the Taiji forums you do and the long form posts. Like you have a really, really dense, intense, esoteric understanding, but you're also able to really simplify things um, very proficiently. Yeah, I find that like the whole writing process helps me untangle things in my own head sometimes. And um, it really helps. And, um, you know, it seems like some people enjoy reading it, so, like yourself. Yeah. So I reckon it's, um, I reckon I'll just, uh, yeah, keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you, you've been doing this for, like, you've been doing Tai Chi and, and yoga for sort of countless years, and you've traveled to all the best masters and work with them closely and then become really close friends with them. Um, I wouldn't say all, but um, there are still a few people I'd love to meet. And um, <laughs> it's, it's a never-ending list, really. So, uh, But, yeah, I, I've, I've had the opportunity to meet a fair few people who've dedicated their lives, so to speak, to whatever the practice that they pursue. And it has been very insightful and helpful for me in my own journey. Mm. Most definitely been the case. And, um, like, yeah, I mean, just to be clear, in terms of yoga, I'm not really, really know much about yoga as we practice it in the West, as we know now. I mean, I was more, I kind of refer to yoga in a more tradition, more from a more traditional sense in terms of, uh, from the roots of yoga, the word yuj, right? Like in order to connect or to become one with the divine type of thing. So, um, so uh, my experience in yogic stuff would be more along the lines of the spiritual practices rather than the physical practices. Mm. So um, that's kind of where I'm coming from. And, and that is why I consider everything that I do to be yoga, because uh, I do it all within the context of my spiritual practice, whether it's Tai Chi or whatever martial arts or healing arts or spiritual arts or whatever may that be, I take it in the context of the spiritual practice, so it all becomes yoga in a way, you know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. uh, so, uh, so in terms of like what we practice in today as yoga, the physical aspect of it, the physical acrobatics of it, I've got no clue. Yeah. To be, honest, to be fair. Yeah, but I've seen, uh, I've seen your Tai Chi forums on, on Facebook and they're phenomenal. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, like, what got you started on this immense lifelong journey? Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's funny. I've been into martial arts since I was a kid, right? Like, so probably like all martial artists, I probably felt, you know, I was disempowered at some point or some shit like that, right? I mean, this is what, I mean, everyone who gets into martial arts, gets into it to feel some form of control or power or something like this right some some form of empowerment in some way you know yeah. so i'm sure i started there too and um it was so long ago i don't even remember what attracted me to it but i i, the, I recall watching bruce lee movies when i was like two three years old like maybe four years old or whatever and um i started training in a type of wushu at the age of about five or six. So that's kind of where I started. And it, in terms of the proximal clothes, I blame Bruce Lee for it, right? Yeah. 
All those movies were and, too good. He's phenomenal. That's right. And then there was Jackie Chan and Sam Hung and all these guys, right? So uh, yeah, I was I was watching a lot of kung fu movies right into my early teens. Like, um, but um, in terms of Tai Chi, that was interesting because um, so I kind of stopped doing all the martial arts stuff in any serious sense around the age of 16 or so because I kind of got distracted by computers like heavily. Yeah. And uh, I, I still dabbled a little bit, but I didn't put too much time into it. Mm -hmm. And um, around 2007, I've had like, uh, I've had, had my son and daughter at this point, and I mm -hmm. kind of wanted something for myself. I felt that, you know, I'm basically being sort of pulled in too many directions kind of thing, like too scattered in a way. So I wanted to find something that kind of is a more of an organizing force in my life. So, um, and, and I wanted to pursue sort of meditation and that type of stuff, but um, I soon realized that I simply didn't have the patience for it. Like I was I had too much energy. So Tai Chi was like the kind of compromise where like, because there was physical movement and uh, attention to the physical movement, the level of attention to the physical movement that was involved, it was kind of easy for me to stick to it. So Tai Chi was sort of my halfway house. It was the halfway house. <laughs> or the gateway drug, whichever you want to call it. You know? so, um, so yeah, man, that's kind of how I started. I mean, I've, I've come across Tai Chi in the past, and um, it certainly wasn't Tai Chi in any real sense that what I had come across. But um, so I basically experienced somewhat, and I had somewhat of an idea what it might be like, but uh, I didn't start really learning Tai Chi until 2007. Yeah, it wasn't until 2007 where you really got into the Tai Chi forms and feeling and, and when, when do you feel like is uh, distinguishes like a true Tai Chi Chi form or Tai Chi teacher from one who isn't acting from a place of truth? At what, how do you distinguish quality when there's so much static, there's so much noise in, 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 the, in, the, in the field? How, how do you find quality? Well, see, this is a complex one, right? Because today, if you look at what is today, even, even in the past, not so much today, like Tai Chi and internal arts in general is many things to many people, right? Because there is so much benefit in practicing the arts in so many facets, there are people who benefit from all the multitude of facets, right? So, mm -hmm. so it's, it's a tough question because, you know, like, you know, I mean, there are groups there are many, many groups, I would say the majority of groups in the world, like what they practice, a purist would not consider Tai Chi, right? They would basically say derogatory things like waving hands in the air or something like this, right? Right, right. But, but, the, but the reality of it is like when you look at the people who practice these things, right? There is a social cohesion, there's a community and there's paying attention to your movement and there's, you know, recognizing the limits of your body in physical space and all sorts of things that happen, right? So there is a lot of benefit from it. I mean, actually, there's a lot of scientific literature that show that there's significant benefit to what the purists would consider to be waving hands in the air, for example, right? 
So, yeah. you know, is it, is it not Taiji? No, I mean, it is Taiji in some way, shape or form, but it is not the full package and it is not the be all and end all, but it is still valuable because people are benefiting from it, right? Right. That's so, all that makes it. Yeah. So it is, it is not not Taiji. It is maybe someone would say that it's Taiji inspired, right? Or a very, uh, basic version of Taiji, but it is still what it is, right? I mean, of course, you're not going to be like a price fighter doing things this way, right? Or you're not going to be enlightened doing things this way, but, you know, it, it has its benefits, right? So in terms of what really makes Taiji, um, so basically there's two different things. So first thing we need to tackle is what makes something internal, right? Mm. So that tends to be a bit of a broader definition in the sense that it is, I mean, internal is a big camp where Taiji is a bit more specific within that internal camp. And if you look at internal arts, right? So there's still two things, right? In my view, that's like I've come across two dominant uh, views of what it is internal. So one would be that people would say where the insides move the outside of the body, right? So rather than using the prime mover muscles to drag the bones around, you would basically change the internal structures of your body to motivate changes in the external structures that move the bones around, right? So that is a very physical definition of what an internal art is. And uh, so by that definition, some types of system I would be considered initial internal art, which I think is fair, right? So it is a very, very purely physical view, but it has its merit, right? But then there is the more stricter definition where people say like, you know, if, if your body stimulates the movement of chi, then that is an external art. But if you move the chi to move the body, then that's a truly internal art. So the idea is that internal movement and power is motivated by you directly moving and mobilizing chi. So that tends to be a bit more stricter definition. So from a purist point of view, I would say that that definition would probably be the more strictest definition. So, I mean, whenever I find people who mobilize chi to do anything, whether it's movement or generating power or doing whatever it may be, that's pretty impressive. Like it's it's not very common, it's fairly rare, right? I mean, there are there are people who can move chi, but they can't really mobilize the body using the chi. So when you find someone who can mobilize chi to generate power or move the body or do all kinds of other stuff, it's actually, I would say, yeah, like that's basically the real deal, right? But that doesn't mean that the people who can, who don't really interact with chi, but who can move the insides of their body to, to move the outside of their body and interact with the body with, with certain mental states that make that possible is without merit, right? Right. That is also pretty damn impressive. I mean, there's not many people who can do that either, right? Right. So. So yeah, so my kind of um, so I'm 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 basically impressed by either really. Like I mean, it 
I think that to me, if someone can do either one of them or in between, I'm sure there's something I can learn from them. Yeah. Yeah. When you put it that way, that makes a lot of sense that like wherever people place their mastery and whether they're sensitive or not sensitive or whether they are from either of those schools of thought, like if they put in the work and if they are dedicated and love what they're doing, then that's going to transfer into how they're sharing with students and it's going to lift everyone up. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, and that's a certain thing, like, you know, there is, there are certain mental qualities like grit and perseverance and the ability to remain focused that is quite impressive with anything people can basically put 20 years of their life in data. And that they like people who pay that level of attention to anything has valuable insight to offer is my experience. Like it is not it is not doing something mechanically over and over again for 20 years. It's basically looking deeper and deeper into something and refining something for 10, 20 years on a regular basis. I mean, that's a serious commitment. And that level of commitment results in some level of insight that is pretty impressive most of the time, right? So I mean, this is the whole idea of Kung Fu in the first place, right? So um, yeah. One of my teachers, like, um, he was, I asked him, like, what exactly do Chinese mean when they say Kung Fu? And he basically said to me that, you know, you take one sheet of paper, at a, one sheet of paper at a time and you pile it up. And he's like, one day you get a phone book that you can whack someone with. But, you know, <laughs> when you only have, when you only have like three sheets of paper, it's probably not going to even hit a, hurt a fly. <laughs> yeah. So, so his way of Kung Fu was like that. It was basically like the skill and experience and insight achieved through hard work diligently over a long period of time. So, um, I mean, that alone is impressive, right? So, um, so yeah, it's just a um, lot to be said about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. And... And did you find it, that there was any like specific type of anecdotal or transformative moments for you in your in your Tai Chi practice where you felt um, either either where you were really feeling like you mastered the, the the form of it and that like and that was a real and there was a breakthrough or or if there was another moment where you felt like the energy move through and that that be a different breakthrough have, have you had experienced either of those moments in your practice? Um, so, um, so I tend to not pay too much attention to what the mind likes to fabricate. I mean, there's a lot of things that are fleeting. The mind fabricates it, and when you see through it, it's not something else altogether, or it's nothing at all. That type of thing, right? Like yeah. things like that, I try to not get excited about. But um, so when I first started Tai Chi um, in 2007, I was training under a disciple of a very well-known teacher. And um, my teacher, who was a disciple, he also comes from a hard external kung fu background, and he was like he was forced to reckon with. And I still don't want to be punched by him. Like he was, like he was deadly with his external arts, and his tai chi practice made his external arts so much better. Mm. But in terms of the tai chi practice, I was having not I wasn't having too much luck because the level of detail in terms of the process 
was very opaque, like um, so, so it, it, akin to like, okay, do this shape and relax, or like you know, do this shape and sink into the ground, or do this straight and experience your feet sink into the ground, like that level of detail, right? In terms of practice, right. it was just because because it's just too vague to make significant progress because those all those things you can do in so many different ways, right? So it's mm. not precise enough to serve as instruction to make rapid progress. So um, for about three years, I was working with this and uh, wasn't really getting very far, to be honest. And it wasn't because the teachers weren't generous. It wasn't because I wasn't putting enough time. I mean, from 2007 onwards, I put about at least two to four hours every day to practice, right? So. Mm. It wasn't that I wasn't putting in time and I was like basically being on online forums, reading everything I can get my hands on and so on and so forth. But I wasn't really getting anywhere because um, it was just too vague, right? And mm. um, and then I met Mark in 2010. And uh, I, I'd say that would be a very transformative moment for me because Mark provided me the tools to open my perception up to perceiving subtle qualities that allowed me to have a vocabulary that I can work with in exploring internal arts in general. Mm. So, uh, I mean, in the sense that I wouldn't consider myself an expert in hermetics in any sense of the word, but the foundation work that I did with Mark in terms of how he applies hermetics to physical performance and power that practice gave me the tools and the insight and more importantly opened up my perceptions to work with the subtle qualities involved in the internal arts, which made my subsequent learning possible. Like if I haven't had that experience, I would still be stuck in the gross physical level. It's like, okay, just sink into the ground or let your feet sink into the ground or relax or something like this, right? Right. So I would say I would say that early days, I, mean, I think I might train with Mark every day for about three months or so, and then we train for another six to nine months, like one and a half, but maybe yeah. not every day, but significantly. I think that foundation was what enabled me to learn all the things I have subsequently learned, simply because it gave me the perception to work with these things at a granular enough level to catch what people are doing. So so I would say that was a very transformative um, experience for me in that way. I would say that uh, until I worked with Mark, I didn't really know what the hell the internal was other than trying to relax in really weird and odd ways. Mm. Mm. Um, so that would be one, and this, the another transformative experience would be my best Tai Chi teacher because he was very pedantic in the way he um, worked with things. So he would basically have a perceptual model, and then he would basically demand other work with you until you are able to surrender sufficiently to the process that results in that perception to the point where you would develop the physical skills. 
So the physical skills in terms of the shape or the power or the movement would be confirmation. So it is never the it is never the thing that you do. It is a, something that you observe, and if you get it right, well, you must be doing it right. I see. I see. So, um, so, so I really liked his way of doing it because there was no doubt, right? I mean, you had the perceptual model you were working with, and if you let go or surrender enough to the process that generates that perceptual model of experience, you would know because you will produce the right results in the physical realm. And if it doesn't, well, then you're not doing it right. Right. So, so I found that architecture to exploration of the internal method to be very, very powerful personally for me because there was no real guesswork. So um, there's no guesswork. I, there was no guesswork because if you you're given a very clear instructions on how to structure your experience, and if you surrender to it sufficiently and discover the process that would result in that perception being generated, in the other on like so basically you 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 shift from imagining it to no longer imagining it but actually perceiving it because of what is going on, right? Mm. And that is immediately confirmed by the physical results you produce. If the physical results are not correct, then what you're doing is not correct. Mm. Which is something which is something that in my view is lacking in the internal arts because in the internal arts, a lot of the time people get carried away with what they make up in their minds and they end up wanting to believe and end up believing without seeing the physical results. Like there is no real validation in the physical. Mm. So, uh, so in a nutshell, like one of my dear friends likes to say, if it is only in your mind, how do you know it is not your imagination, right? If there's no physical reflection, like you know, if you look at it from hermetic terms, right? right. It is by definition as above, so below, right? Yeah. Like if there is something real, then what happens in the mental realm has a reflection in the astral and the physical, right? Yes. If that does not happen, well, it is just in your mind. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so I like that. I like that keeping it realness to it. So I would say working with him for, I mean, I didn't get to work with him for a long period of time because he passed away, but, uh, the few years I did work with him, that was quite refreshing and eye opening because, um, it helped me keep it real. Like in the sense that, you know, again, like one of my other friends used to say, like, you know, these things require a very high tolerance to frustration. Mm. So. You know, like it's it's you've been trying and trying and trying until you get it right. So you know, it's not like oh, I'm doing it. It's like oh, I'm doing, I'm enjoy, I'm experiencing the courses again and again and again until I nail it and I see the right results, right? So it it is that most definitely a grind, <laughs> to say the least. Absolutely, but, uh, absolutely. But it's it's also, yeah. But it but it's also rewarding because when you get the results you want, you know, you're doing it right. Mm. Mm. So, um, so, so I would say that those two would be some of the most transformative, um, events in my own personal journey. Absolutely. That sounds remarkably transformable. And 
that you had in, in this and it's great because it's not like it's not like it's just about the event it's also about the processes and the daily the daily grind and the hundred right. repetitions thousands of repetitions that were put in before before there's even these peak events but that's the thing like i mean i don't so yeah. so the, the term repetition is also an interesting one right like so mm -hmm. my best IGDJ was against all repetition right he was like if you're doing something exactly the way you did before there's nothing transformative about it so by definition transformative means that you should have some new insight or some new skill every time you repeat something totally like no matter how minute no matter how little right so um so that was his that was his thing so he was like you know every time you do something you should be doing it better or you should be touching a facet you didn't touch last time so it, so it is the so the mindset is not ever of performing something as much as always exploring to discover something so it's a completely different mindset like um and i think so that is also part of what he shared with me that was extremely important because um we can like for example what happens is that when we try to repeat something, like for example, if we have the mindset of repetition, what the brain does is that the brain matches what we are currently experiencing to a past experience and goes, oh, that's close enough, right? Uh. So, so over time, repetitions don't necessarily get any better. They become easier because you get more used to it, but it doesn't necessarily get more refined. So in order to get something more refined, you have to have some objective that you're trying to achieve or some parameters which are going to improve in the context of doing something. So effortlessness is a good one, right? Like, so when we do something, that's something that comes to us naturally, right? Mm. We don't want something to be a chore. We want it to be effortless. So perhaps unconsciously, we always try to make it as effortless as humanly possible, right? Totally. So, um, so that serves as like a very baseline form of refinement, right? This is why, like, you know, you hit a ball, you catch a ball or whatever, you do that over a period of time, you actually get better at it because your body wants to conserve energy while doing it and reduce the cognitive burden, right? Yeah, right. It becomes a cognitive burden. And that really makes me think too, like how, how that translates in, in your day, in day to day life, like hour to hour, like how practicing tai chi and and working on refining it not just repeating it but refining it how does that help kind of even evolve day-to-day -day living yeah so in a nutshell so in, at a basic level it increases our attentiveness right because when we when we work with something you know you just first look at things and you see the gross detail and then you start seeing more and more minute detail into it and um you know so the as the attention increases you end up with like no one thing to know the 10,000 things, right? You end up with that. So it, at the end of the day, it's all about attention and stillness of that attention, right? So, um, so whatever we apply ourselves to rather than compulsively repeating it in a mindless manner based on past memory, if you're applying some parameter of improvement or refinement to it, 
it's a, it becomes a much greater experience overall because like things we do compulsively we don't even remember do we like you know we just go through the go through the motions and at the end of the day it means nothing right like it may mean something prior to like satisfying the compulsion but once the compulsion is satisfied it means nothing right mm. but when you're attentively trying to refine something it's a much more rewarding experience like even if it is something simple as like you know i get out of the bed and how how can i open this bathroom door easier or more effortlessly every time i try to open it right so it becomes a lot more um rewarding experience rather than compulsively opening the door you don't even remember that you opened the door you know what i mean mm. yeah that's a, that's brilliant how that translates into everyday life where you find to find more ease and grace and you find refinement in your day-to-day -day activities and you have your, that, a, that greater level of stillness and mindfulness that you can then apply in order to find right. in every aspect of your life and be lifelong cultivator and all-day cultivator Absolutely, because it translates like the tension, the, the capacity for tension that you develop in any aspect, right, can be, I'm not saying it necessarily will be because, you know, you have mental aversions, but it can be applied to every aspect of your life because it is a core skill, right? Hmm. So you can be attentive to all kinds of aspects of everything. And when you look at life, you know, once you take strip the labels away and look at what something truly is, it's actually a very rich and vibrant place. It's just that our mind likes to label things and the second it labels something, all that detail disappears because now we are dealing with labels and not the thing itself. Mm. So, um, so that aspect of it is actually very much in line with any kind of spiritual practice. So, um, so what I like to do is that the, the states or conditions or processes that I touch in my spiritual practice, I bring it into the internal arts practice so that I can explore it deeper through the vehicle of physicality mm -hmm. rather than just through my mental experience. Mm. Yeah, and I I wonder that that makes me wonder about how with your mental experience, like when you're going through your Tai Chi practice or day to day life, like how do you feel that your self talk is transformed? Like how do you find that you talk to yourself before, or during, after your Tai Chi session? Yeah, so that's an interesting one because um, so the only self talk that really happens is in the process of driving the practice itself because the practice itself doesn't really involve much self-talk because you're basically focusing on being attentive rather than being analytical mm. to say this. I mean, analysis adds value, but analysis adds value in, not in terms of perceiving things, analysis adds value in terms of guiding your practice, right? Mm. I mean, uh, analysis, the, the rational analytical part of your mind is not completely useless, but it is unhelpful in many ways, but helpful in driving the direction and the process of your practice. But the reasoning mind 
and labeling mind is a complete hindrance in the practice itself because like we have this thing where for the brain for energy efficiency likes to label things as quickly as possible mm. so the second you label something you stop seeing the detail of what it is and now you only see the label now so um so it is so the practice is not about thinking but in terms of guiding the practice thinking is helpful in terms of guiding the practice thinking is helpful like but during the actual practice you want to just maintain complete awareness and attentiveness and so yes. the, the thoughts and the forms are premeditated they're they're studied and then you enact them is that am i misunderstanding that um so in the way of the internal arts the way like i mean i mean not everyone does it this way but um, generally in the internal arts um my preferred method of exploring internal arts is effectively maintaining a preference to experience whatever is happening in a, a structured fashion but leaving that structure open-ended where you can perceive things that are outside of that mm. So, so what happens is that when we have a preference to experience things a certain way, the mind and the body organizes itself to operate in a certain way to maximize that the experience of that particular model that we are trying to experience, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so this is the genius of the internal arts in the sense that they've worked out that by structuring your experience, you can actually guide energy and achieve very impressive physical things. And uh, the important part is that you just simply maintain a preference. You're not, not imagining it. You're not completely blind to it. You're just simply maintaining a preference to experience things a certain way, which you know have been successful in the past or the masters have prescribed to you or whatever that may be, right? Mm. But you're not confusing it with reality because at the end of the day, this is still some fabrication, fabricative pr process. But yeah. it's a useful one, right? It's, it's a useful one. Very useful. And, and you want to keep it open so that you're not limited to it. And hence, you can refine the structure of your experience as time goes by and you con continuously improve. But if you think that this is how the reality is, then again, your improvement stops because you're now stuck in this box where you, you have defined your reality to be that, right? And reality is not really defined by your imagination. I mean, reality to some extent is dependent on how you structure your experience. This is true. Yeah. But it is not governed by your imagination. It's not governed. So, yeah. yeah so it's it's like so it's actually quite um it's actually quite a genius process and um and certainly it is not something that is just shared by um chinese internal arts it's also you can see it in yogic yogic traditions but i mean they tend to use the word visualization which i'm not really a huge fan of mm. the problem is that the problem is that you know when people complain about visualization right what they're really complaining about is visual imagination, right? Right. Like in terms of the perception, some people are more kinesthetic oriented, some people are more auditory oriented, some people are more visual oriented and so on and so forth, right? 
and this changes from context to context. So the visual perception is not the enemy here. It is the imagination. So you, just like you can hallucinate visually, you can also hallucinate auditorily or right. kinesthetically or olfactorily, right? So you can use all these modes to imagine as well. It's the problem is with imagination. So when people complain about visualization, what they really mean is that you shouldn't imagine, but you should perceive what is there and structure that perception in whatever way you want to find useful. But mm -hmm. you are basically perceiving what's there. You're not creating something entirely in your mind. So, uh, so that's kind of like would be the distinction. And I find that like quite genius that the um, past masters actually figured this out. Right. Yeah, well, that's phenomenal, Joey. And I'm wondering if there's any kind of last pieces of advice you'd want for people to know or understand about Tai Chi, like people who may be interested in Tai Chi or people who may be currently practicing. What would be the key takeaway for them? So the key takeaway for me, I would say, has been always that uh, whether it's Tai Chi or anything else, but I mean, it's very relevant in Tai Chi and internal arts for sure, is that um, you need to have some idea of what you want out of the practice. And you need to, it's not easy, but you need to figure out what is the actual work required for this outcome and then do that work. Because um, I find that a lot of people, like they sometimes don't just don't know what they're looking for, what they want, so they can't guide or structure the practice in a way that is optimized to achieve that outcome, right? Mm. So they're like going in all different directions all the time without getting in any direction very far, right? And mm. um, then there's then there's the thing about like people who know what they want, but they don't know know what it takes. Right, so they can't apply themselves to doing what it takes. So um, that's that's another problem. And so um, once you know what you want, and you once you have an idea of what it takes, I mean, often prescribed by a teacher or someone who has walked the path before, right? Once yeah. you have once you have that information, then you have to diligently do the work, right? Yeah. So. Um, so without understand without having that understanding, jumping from superficially jumping from one teacher to another or one practice to another your entire lifetime is rarely gonna get you somewhere. So I think people are doing themselves a huge disservice by doing that because at the end of the day, right? All we have is time and we have so little of it mm. in this lifetime. So one has to be a little more um sort of diligent about where and how you spend that time. Because, um, you know, I mean, you know, one of the one of the things with the human condition is that we think that we are born one day and then one day we die, right? Right. So we are born one day and every day we die a little because every day our life is shorter by one day, you know what I mean? Right. So it is not it is not that we live a lifetime and die one day. It's like we're it's on the other. It's not that. It's basically we are born one day and we keep dying until we are fully dead. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's that's really the process that's emerging, isn't it? 
yeah so so one has to be somewhat um mindful of the fact that you know you don't have infinite time in the world so you need to use it wisely and i thought i think i think buddha's last words at his death was that um the biggest problem is people think that they have time and um would be my that would be if i was to say that um something was if i boil it down to like this key quality or key insight or perception that will help people through this stuff internal arts like for sure but not just internal arts is that um, recognize that you have very limited time in this lifetime and uh, know what you want figure out what work is is required to achieve what you want and diligently do it yeah wonderful is is there anywhere that the people can like follow you or like see your videos like what where's the best way for people to to check in on what you're up to um generally instagram and uh, generally instagram and facebook tend to be more current mm -hmm. like i only leave, i only use youtube for more like um, long form things that i kind of want to share that is a bit more substantial than Facebook and Instagram, and I mean, certainly in terms of video, but in terms of the writing, I try to um, generally do it on Facebook because Instagram, uh, the the text limit is much smaller than Facebook. So, uh, but in terms of keeping up with all the bullshit that I'm <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that I'm rolling through at any point in time, it'll definitely be uh, Instagram and Facebook, I'd say. All right, that sounds good. Now, what's a handle that people can find you at? Um, I maybe um. So I actually think you know, on Instagram is joey.nishad, mm -hmm. and I believe on Facebook it is Joey Nishad, mm -hmm. and on on YouTube it'll be at Behold Yoga. So um, yeah, man. I mean, between the three of those, uh. I'm pretty sure people will know more about me than I know. I remember myself. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this sounds great. Thank you so much for your time today, Joey. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Absolute pleasure, brother. And how is the book coming along? Oh, it's coming along great. I've got a, got another person uh, uh, signed on to help edit it. So it's going through its second revision. And I really appreciate the uh, feedback you gave for it, too. It's super helpful. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, sorry, I've been traveling lately because I couldn't actually get back to providing more feedback than the first round. But uh, once life settles down, if you still need some uh, feedback, I'm happy to uh, have another look. Yeah. But um, all the best, brother, and I'm looking forward to reading it, man. Like it's, it'll be awesome. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Joey. All right, bro. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.